Hey, hey, welcome once again. It's a whole new show, a whole new week here. Disability Law Show. John Scholes always here along with Tamar Agilpian, always the one to have the answers and the one you want to reach out to anytime if you have questions, either uh, for yourself, a colleague, or a friend who's dealing with a disability insurer, maybe on the cusp of a cutoff or you've been cut off, you don't know where to go. It is stressful. You need answers. The information is not always readily available, especially online. Do not go there. Listen to the show and reach out to Tamar anytime as well. I'll give you that number throughout the show, but to, uh, to kick it off, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca, the email we always go to as well, which we're going to dive into here in just a, a few minutes. Tamar, but you always start off with the case of the day, something that's been cooking on your end, pal. What do you got for us this week? Cooking it is, John. Cooking mm-hmm. it is. Lots of things going on. Always busy with lots of phone calls. I think that Tis the season, uh, you know, there was maybe a little bit of a dip a couple months back when we weren't seeing a lot of traction uh, on denial letters and this sort of thing. And now it's, you know, 150 miles per hour, so to speak. <sighs> anyway, the, the, what I wanted to start off our show talking about is a gentleman that I've actually been speaking with over the last number of months here and there. He is still getting his disability benefits, but more recently has come across uh, an issue with the disability insurer that generally speaking, I wanted to share with our listeners. And it's this idea that the disability insurer uh, wants him to proceed with a rehabilitation program. And so we talk about this here and there in our shows about how the insurance companies typically will have provision in their policy that says, if we think you require some kind of specific treatment or rehab plan, we're going to put that plan in place And we expect you to attend or you must attend. In fact, I've seen policies that go so far as to say that if you don't attend, we get to cut off your benefits. And this is exactly the situation that this gentleman is in right now. He is approved for CPP disability, John. He has been approved for disability benefits for a number of years now. His doctors continue to support that he is not capable of working. It is a mental health claim. So that adds another layer on top because as you know, disability insurers are just not that sophisticated when it comes to mental health claims. And so I think they're just trying to find all the different tools and all the different ways that they can to try and bring these claims to a close. And so one of the ways that they had already gone through with this gentleman is doing an independent medical assessment. So everything in the toolkit, eh? the medical assessments, you know, medical reviews, all of those things. And now it's come to a point where they're like, look, you know what, you should do this rehab. And so, of course, naturally, you know, he's come back to us saying, I don't, I can't imagine my doctors are going to recommend that this makes sense. I'll have to disclose to this new treatment provider all of the things that I've already gone through with my psychologist, my psychiatrist, and my family doctor. It's someone totally new. And then to be put through, you know, somewhat aggressive treatment measures, you know, doesn't seem like that's going to be a good situation for me. And of course, you know, I, I can only agree as much as his doctors agree. And that is the main takeaway here is that if you're being faced with this kind of pressure from the disability insurer, and it is very clear pressure because they're saying you must attend, otherwise we're going to cut off your benefits, you really want to engage your medical team. And this is the advice that I gave him. I said, look, you need to understand very clearly what this rehabilitation program is that the insurance company is proposing. You need to take that back to your own treatment providers, especially your psychiatrist and your psychologist. And really review to see whether or not this treatment has either already been attempted and not been successful in making you better, or it can be part of the services that are already being offered to you or the treatment that's already being offered to you, 
by your own treatment providers. And some kind of endorsement like that to the insurance company can be compelling. It can also be compelling to have your doctors comment that, look, I've reviewed the program and I think this is going to be more harm than good. It may trigger further health conditions. And, you know, I don't recommend that my patient undergo this. There, but there needs to be a medical support for all of this. And it is absolutely a challenge for individuals to have to deal with a disability insurer through all of these steps and stages. And there are no guarantees. And there's nothing that I can say to this individual to say, mm. yep, you know what, if you do these three things, for sure your disability benefits won't be cut off. In fact, quite the opposite, because these tools typically are being used by these adjusters to bring claims to a close. That is their primary goal, is to try and bring these disability claims to an end prematurely if they need to in order to stop issuing that monthly benefit. And so more resistance that they face, they, they double down on those efforts and they will use the fact that they can cut off your claim at any time as a means of getting you to comply. So really, really difficult situation. It has caused in and of itself mental health conditions for this poor gentleman. And so what I'm trying to do is provide the support, get this information out there and really just prepare him for the fact that, look, if this is the path it's going to go, you do have an obligation to cooperate to some extent to the, with the insurer's efforts. But if it gets to a point where it's harming your health, I think it does make sense to perhaps stop or resist the insurer's um, you know, treatment plan and rehab plan. But brace yourself that the outcome of that is most likely a disability claim. Uh, you know, we're going to likely have to be involved. The LTD benefits are likely to come to an end. And this will not be something that the insurance company will let go. These are the ways that they seek compliance, John, and get these claims to come to an end. Very unfair. It, there is law that supports that, you know, you have to follow appropriate treatment measures yep. in order to get your disability benefits. And it, there is compliance issues related to that, too. And the law is supportive that, look, disability insurers can ask individuals to participate in these things if their contracts say so. But it's all a question of reasonableness. And it's a reasonableness question on a case-by-case -case basis, which is why I'm actually glad that he keeps you know, contacting us and speaking to us. We're happy to do that. There's limits, of course, but we're happy to provide that kind of support because if it is heading to the direction where I think it's headed, he will absolutely need you know, strong legal advice, a good team behind him to take this on and challenge the disability insurer. And they, they, you know, one of the bright lights of making that next step for this uh, this guy is the fact that once that starts with you, uh, the headache of communication via the adjuster, whoever else, the insurance company stops with his phone, right? Exactly. Wow. And so let me talk a little more about that, too, because actually it harkens another call I had with another gentleman this uh -huh. week, too, saying, look, can you just intervene? I really don't want to deal with the disability insurer. <laughs> and, and look, I would love to, but our intervention can actually sometimes do more harm than good if the claim hasn't come to an end. Right. So, yes, there are limited circumstances where we can provide that kind of support. But generally speaking, all we can really do is guide individuals as they're going through this process. And then at the moment that the disability insurer makes the wrong decision, makes the wrong call, we're there to act. And yes, once we are involved, absolutely all the phone calls and the letters and everything ends, they become my problem happily. And actually, it really takes it out of that adjuster's hands too, John. This is the other thing I think a lot of people don't understand is that 
This is why the legal process is so effective, is that it actually subverts that adjuster who has yeah. been harassing these you know, claimants and dealing with these individuals and pressuring them to do things that is offside from either the policy or the medical information. And so when we start that legal claim, it puts it in the hands of one of their lawyers and someone who's specifically designated by the insurance company to deal with these kind of litigated claims because they know the law, they know the limits of what they can do, they understand the contract a lot better than these frontline adjusters, so to speak. And very often we get very successful, efficient results for our clients. You know, circumstances where they're amazed that we've been able to do as much as we have. And it's because we use the, our tools very well. We use our pressure points very well to get really good results for our clients while they focus on their health, because that's really the number one thing is that these adjusters are interfering with the recovery, right? And they don't realize yes. maybe they do, maybe they don't. But at the end of the day, you know, they have a mission and they are committed to that mission. That is why they make record breaking profits every year. And with that, you can always reach out to Tamara and her team. We tell you that every show. That's a one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to do exactly that. We should uh, get into some emails, as I promised off the top of the show. You can send one along anytime. It may appear on the show, maybe not. If you don't want it to, that's fine. Just outline that in your uh, in your correspondence with Tamara and her team. And that would be help at disabilityrights.ca. The first one is uh, Lewis. This guy's I'm 51 years old. Had a heart attack around five years ago. Ever since then, my health has been on the decline. I have chronic pain and chronic fatigue. I used to work for the government, but have not been able to go back to my job in over two years. My disability benefits were just cut off too, and now I need to sell my house to survive. I'm told I should apply for a medical retirement and for CPP disability benefits as well. Does this mean I'm not entitled to more disability benefits? That's from Lewis. <laughs> this one's an yeah, this one's an easy one, Lewis. It, uh -huh. No, that doesn't mean that you're not entitled. In fact, yes, you likely are entitled to more disability benefits. And so what ends up happening with government employees, John, particularly if it's federal government employees, and, and we work with these individuals all the time, is that they have the uh, benefit of getting the long-term disability and they have access to a medical retirement pension as well. And so disability insurers who insure these groups of individuals, these government body group employees, know this. And so they will use that as a means to reduce the claim or bring the claim to a premature end by trying to pressure people to actually go on a medical retirement, which the courts have said is not exactly on side if it mm. means that they're giving things up. So look, I want to comment on a couple of extra things on Lewis's email. Maybe we pick this up after our next break. Absolutely. And again, in the meantime, it's one uh, 821 5900 You can also go to uh, mydisabilityquestions.com. That website is built just for you to ask questions anonymously, by the way. And it's got that searchable database, which we always plug as well, which means you can look for a question previous to yours that has been answered in full. Save you a bit of time. If not, leave it there. And tomorrow, our crew will uh, we'll go through it uh, regularly and maybe pick yours out of there as well. Again, that is mydisabilityquestions.com. And that phone number, one 855 821-5900. Short break. And as Tamara says, we're right back at it after the break right here on the Disability Law Show. Stand by. 
All right, welcome back to Civility Law Show. John Scholes, of course, Tamara Gopian, Samfiru, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in control of the controls here uh, today, always on the show answering your questions. You can always reach out beyond this hour uh, with a phone call, one 821 5900disabilityrights.ca uh, is the website. While you're there, you will catch links to past TV shows that we do as well across Canada and uh, past radio shows if you want to listen on, on your own time. But beyond that, you can always reach out at help at disabilityrights.ca. Let's get back into uh, to Lewis's uh, email. Tamar, 51 years old, heart attack, works for the government, can't go back to work. I've been asked to uh, go for medical retirement for CPP disability benefits. Uh, wondering, so what, my benefits are no longer going to come through? Like I got nothing left? He's uh, panicking a little bit, right? Well, and, and the unfortunate part is is that he's got lingering symptoms, right? And, mm-hmm. and we talk about this quite a bit as well, that these symptoms in and of themselves, chronic pain, fatigue, chronic fatigue, are sufficient to substantiate a disability claim and continue to receive your long-term disability benefits. So if you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I was approved for a while because, you know, I had the heart attack and that was really clear. and You could see that on medical information, but now I've got these lingering effects and I'm getting a lot more resistance for my disability insurer. What's going on tomorrow? Well, I'll tell you, they don't want you on claim for these kinds of conditions because it doesn't have a clear start and end date. And disability insurers like the end date because if they can see it and they can pressure you to have that end date come sooner than later, it means they close your claim and stop paying you benefits. So if you've got an inherently subjective claim, in other words, things that you are reporting to your doctors that can't necessarily be seen on a scan, x-ray report, even a you know blood work or tests or that sort of thing, it doesn't mean that you're not qualified for disability benefits. So when Lewis sends this email to us, John, I think that's one of the things I really wanted to focus on. The other part was he talked to us about medical retirement. I touched on that before our break, and he talked about a CPP disability. So let's really get into the weeds on those two issues. As I was saying, the disability policies, they're drafted by the insurance companies, okay? And they are group plans, and the government one is a fairly lucrative one. Lots of government employees across the country, and they are insured under the same insurance policy. And so, of course, when you're looking at selling this policy, you're looking at the ways in which they can reduce, as disability insure, the amounts they have to pay out. So they will include in the policy a section that says, we're going to pay you X, usually give or take two-thirds of what you're making before. But if you have access to other sources of income, other ways in which your disability can be compensated for, then we get to deduct it or we get to bring the disability claim to an end. And that's what I was talking about with the medical retirement, that most of these plans will say, if you medically retire, you're not entitled to LTD past that point. And or if you medically retire and get a pension and there's still a shortfall, we get to take the credit, but it virtually annihilates what the LTD benefit is, John, I can tell you. And then on top of everything else, they say, yeah, and by the way, you should also supply, you know, get supplied by the CPP disability benefit. Look, I have a lot of um, clients that I've recommended that CPP disability is the way to go. Yeah. It is a very good government-sponsored plan. Um, it's one that's available to individuals who have a severe and prolonged disability. So a lot of disability claimants, when they've been off like Lewis for a number of years, will or should absolutely qualify for these kinds of disability benefits. But I think you need to be mindful of the fact that if you do and you have income sources that exceed or are greater than what your long-term claim or benefit is, 
then it may mean that the disability insurer is not going to pay you anything. But it doesn't mean that they shouldn't. Because think of a scenario where maybe you're applying for CPP disability, but you're not approved, or it takes some time for you to be approved. Well, that doesn't mean that the LTD insurer gets a pass. Not at all, in fact. If you are still meeting their requirement of being totally disabled from your own or any occupation, depending on where you're at on your claim, then those benefits should continue. And the disability insurer will wait to see what's happening with your CPP application. But no hesitation in Lewis's situation to apply and pursue those benefits, but go into it with your eyes wide open. And if you're not sure how it's going to impact things, just a phone call away, send me the policy document. I mean, I've I've read it before, John. I've had a lot of government employees, of but mm-hmm. nevertheless, doesn't hurt to take another mm-hmm. spin at it. And just to confirm, you know, if you do X, this is likely what's going to happen. If you do Y, this is likely what's going to happen so that you're going into it knowing, look, where are my financial compensation sources coming as I continue to try and deal with my health? And frankly, if it's chronic, then the likelihood of a return to work is probably relatively low, unfortunately. So you want to get all those benefits. Lewis, nicely done. You want to reach out with a phone call? I think that's going to be happening shortly on uh, on your end tomorrow, so I'd be looking out for his phone call, how you do that uh, for you as well. If you're listening, one 821 5900 that email address we always use every show, help at disabilityrights.ca. Your experience, you have lots on both sides of the table. You were on the dark side for quite some time. Now you're uh, with uh, San Fury to Mark and, of course, helping people out. What are the three most effective ways, three most, uh, to fight an insurance company for benefits? What do you think, tomorrow? Yeah, I did work on the dark side for a little bit there, John, and then I saw the light. That's what I always say. Um, I saw the light and look, I couldn't be happier. And so, you know, I think this is really a question that does leverage our experience. And I think this is one where I would really start with the medical information. I think that's the number one way to try and advance an effective disability claim. And that's really, you know, If you're using our help, and hopefully you are, if you're fighting the insurance company, that's my starting point as well. I am going to, yes, the phone call stopped, but I'm also going to connect with your medical team and get the records that I need. And if I need to take one step further and actually speak to them directly, or perhaps get more detailed reports, uh, investigations or testing and referrals and this sort of thing, we will coordinate that when we are involved in fighting the disability insurer. So That's really, really important. And I actually think it's a big hurdle for individuals who are on claim or perhaps have been denied to try and do all of that themselves when they're still struggling with their health. So imagine now you're going to see the doctor. You've got a whole host of things happening with your health. You need advice and guidance on how do I improve my health? What are my options right now in terms of treatment? And on top of everything else, you now have to go and say, can you all also prepare this form or do this thing for my insurance company? You know, it's tough to have that conversation and be effective with your medical team. And what do you ask for? You know, what, what am I allowed to get or obtain from my doctor? How cooperative does my doctor need to be? Well, none of that has to be your problem if we are involved and in, in dealing with your disability claims. So that one is the number one. I think of course, a close second is to hire a good lawyer, right? I mean, you really yep. do want to deal with the people who are known in disability in the disability world. It's a small bar, actually, John. You'd be amazed. There's a few groups of us doing it, I mean, doing it well. 
And I can tell you when I did work on the defense side, I mean, if I got a claim on my desk, the very first thing I would do is go to the back and see who was actually on as litigation counsel for the claimant so that I knew, you know, okay, who's it going to be? You know, I, James and I, my, my colleague and partner, James Fireman and I talk about this quite a bit that, you know, he and I had some claims against one another. That's how we initially met. And, you know, we would look at these claims and if we were on each other's files, we would both groan because we know, you know, look, we're, we're doing this well. We were good adversaries. Now we're good colleagues. Um, and, and we enjoy that. It's great history, but it is something that is very real. I can tell you that lawyers will do routinely is to know, okay, who am I up against? And the disability insurers know us, John. This is the other thing. They know us very well. Um, you know, and these relationships that we have with disability insurers, not I'm not saying relationship in a in a good way, as in the fact that they know us mm-hmm. and know what we're made of is really, really important because yeah. they know that if we say that this claim is something that's payable. It's one that we have confidence in because we are involved. It's one that we're prepared to move forward with. They know that we are serious about that because we are a team that has trial experience. We've been inside courtrooms. We've been doing this work for a long, long time. So that's a close second. And then, you know, if you ask me for three most effective ways, well, I think you want to, you know, leverage risks. I think we, we don't think about disability insurers as risk adverse entities, but they actually are. They have shareholders, they have a public uh, persona, they don't want their reputation slagged out there, they don't want us going on our shows and slagging to specific disability insurers or really identifying areas where they've really misstepped and that becomes a massive problem publicly in their image. You know, those are the things, I I mean, the other thing I would say as well, John, is that they also don't want to get before a judge and have a judge tell them that they didn't do the right thing or they didn't do right by one of our clients. And so those pieces, those types of risks can be effective leverage against the insurance company to get them to do the right thing. And they will not do that. And they will resist that if you don't actually do the first two things I said, which is get the right medical support and hire the right lawyer to do it by way of a legal claim. I think all of those three things sort of flow together with the last of which, of, of which is, look, we're going to use every tool to our disposal as a team, as a group of lawyers. And I think that we know well, you know, in our experience, how these kinds of leverage points may play out. And at the end of the day, most disability insurers, they do not want to move forward with these disability claims. They want to come and have a sit down, a reasonable discussion with a team of lawyers who know what they're doing and understand the medical information to get a resolution and keep it outside of the courtroom, which is great for us and our clients because we get really efficient resolutions. They're not going through appeals after appeals. They're not having to, you know, deal with, you know, their doctors themselves necessarily. They're just focusing on their health. And with that, you can always reach out if you're not convinced already after those uh, those talking points for sure. one 821 5,900 is how you uh, you do that. Who's next up? Uh, I think we got Chantel has written in, says, guys, I just turned 60 and a breast cancer survivor. I used to work as a PSW. It was hard enough with the arthritis in my back to keep working, but once I was diagnosed with cancer, I just had to stop. I still struggle with anxiety and depression, and I have a hard time standing and walking. I've been on LTD benefits and CPP disability benefits for about nine months now, but I just got a letter from the insurance company saying they're cutting me off in July. 
why. The letter says it's because my doctor refuses to provide a narrative report about all my health issues. My doctor has provided a letter through every piece of relevant medical information in his file. The insurance adjuster I'm dealing with just keeps hounding my doctor and me for more and more information. I feel like my privacy is being invaded with all these questions about every little thing I do every day. Is this normal? Wow. Chantal, I don't want to say it's normal because it shouldn't be, but I have seen this too many times. It's common. It is common, John, unfortunately. And, you know, it's because they want to bring these claims to a close and, you know, they're using these means to try and frustrate Chantal and frustrate her medical team in being cursory in their responses and perhaps, you know, wanting to sort of do the inclination of, hey, she's okay, or she should be fine, or sure, sure, fine, fine, and get the doctor to just check off a couple of boxes. Because when they do that in a cursory way, it allows the adjuster to say, okay, hey, look, Chantal, we're right. You're going to be able to go back to work in July. And we've now justified what we've had already decided. This is, this is what I don't like about what Chantal is describing, is that it's a predetermined path, it seems, from this adjuster to say, okay, I'm issuing the denial letter. I'm making it your problem. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be deterred. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want to bring this claim to a close. So not normal, not right, but it screams a disability claim, a lawsuit. And I'm saying this because yeah. these kinds of behaviors that these adjusters have frankly, is what is getting wrist slapped by the courts. And I want to have that opportunity to advocate on her behalf in the context of a legal claim. Plus that way, then it can be a little bit more humane in terms of the kinds of requests that she might be getting from us to her doctor or through her in terms of justifying that disability file. Chantel, good stuff. Thank you so much. Please follow up with that phone call. If you have not already, one 821 5900 Peter, see you standing by with your email. We'll get to you after a break. So stick around with us and for you as well anytime, not just during the show. You can always reach out and ask your questions on more of a, a private matter too. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for any other questions, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. More to go. Stick around. Lots more of the Disability Law Show is on the way. Hang on. And we are back to the Disability Law Show. Tamara Gopian is your reach out anytime you want to have a conversation and uh, get more information about a possible claim. Maybe you've been uh, told you're going to be uh, cut off. Maybe you've been told to appeal a thousand times. You don't want to go down that road. Smartly, you don't. And you want to reach out to Tamara first, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Pretty complex email by Chantel, who just turned 60, breast cancer survivor. And again, all this relative medical information she's been asked for uh, on the file. Insurance company saying, yeah, it's not enough. We don't have it. And, uh, you know, she's she's being harassed with all this stuff. What do you think about it, Tamar, as far as the, the medical information, narrative reports, and all that stuff is concerned? Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to wonder, right, what are they really looking for if her doctor has supplied all the records and everything that the doctor has? And, I, you know, I think, John, this is where we're really seeing the lack of appropriate adjudication on specific mental health claims that perhaps stem from or run off from an initial physical um, diagnosis. So she had the cancer, that's really clear. Course of treatment is fairly clear. But then you've got these lingering um, health issues, mental health being one of them. And, you know, I think that there is a real lack of sophistication, empathy, understanding by these adjusters and these kinds of claims. And they are looking for the types of perhaps information that you would see in a physical disability in a mental health component. And you're not going to get that. And so 
I think that the details then become really important. I think ensuring that the doctors and whoever else is perhaps part of her treatment plan, maybe she's got a psychiatrist or a psychologist, social worker, um, you know, some support individual who's helping with the depression and anxiety. If they can speak to the symptoms and provide, provide something supportive, I think that would be very, very persuasive. You know, insurance companies and adjusters are very focused on MDs actually yep. giving these opinions and, you know, treatment recommendations. But, you know, this is, again, I think an area where they're really failing in their understanding of how mental health, A, develops, B, gets treated, and perhaps just doesn't go away necessarily, even with concerted treatment efforts. Um, more and more common is treatment-resistant depression, treatment-resistant anxiety. So there's only so much that can be done. And so having the doctor or the practitioner or the health team validating ongoing symptoms despite treatment efforts, I think can be really, really persuasive. Look, at the end of the day, you know, I can leverage all of this in the context of a legal claim, but if Chantal's wondering, look, why am I being asked this a thousand times over? And it might just be a question of a lack of understanding by the adjuster or the approach that they're taking more so than something that's perhaps missing from the medical records. So look, if she's done everything that she can and they are determined to bring this claim to a close, then this is really areas where I say, please, people, don't appeal, okay? The, the, you know what's going to happen, right, John? Yep. She's going to get another letter, right? She's going to say, okay, well, we're den denying you again. You go to the back of the letter, and there's this whole long three paragraphs around you have the right to appeal, you have 30 days to appeal, you can submit further medical information, you know, you can provide a narrative report. That's what she's already being told. But if she's already supplied all of this information and there's, in fact, nothing new to submit to the insurance company, guess what the answer is going to be? It's going to be a big fat no again. Yeah. Yeah. And all you've lost is time, further frustration. You know, she references that she's having a hard time. Even her doctor's having a hard time trying to be, you know, cooperative and responsive. Yeah, your doctor's going to be exhausted and having to keep dealing with the insurance company on your behalf. And so, you know, it's not a good process. It's not a good process for the medical team, not a good process for the claimant. And so I really do think that this is really one of the biggest reasons why I discourage individuals from appealing these decisions. Uh, you know, you've only got a certain window of time in Ontario and other provinces we practice in to, to sue, to start a legal claim. That window of time is usually two years from the first moment you were told you were denied. And so you don't really want to delay and spend more months of time, you know, spinning your wheels without your benefits and not having the opportunity of someone like myself, someone in my team, to be effective advocate for you and move that needle forward and really try and get an efficient resolution in a much, much faster and frankly, gentler way than what people are dealing with and having to appeal time and again themselves. Hope that helps, Chantel. And uh, if you caught all that and you think, hey, I want to reach out uh, as well, you can do so. We always encourage you to uh, to do exactly that. one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca is our go-to email address. So how often do you get uh, the mediation, which is a good thing, with a client's disability claim and the insurance company doesn't come to the table. They don't offer up anything. What uh, what happens at that point? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, John. So look, for, for our listeners who may or not be as familiar with the process, generally when we start a legal claim, you know, there is uh, a lot of jurisdictions that have mediation that's a mandatory process. Mm -hmm. This is a non-binding settlement meeting. So there's no judge. Uh, it's just something that uh, is agreed upon between both sides of a legal claim. 
And usually we have a very high degree of success in resolving our claims at mediation for our clients. So it's a good thing, a really, really good thing and a good process to have. And so, you know, does it happen that a file doesn't settle out of mediation? Yes, it does happen. Is it rare? It is very rare. Okay. I mean, most disability insurers really understand a lot of those issues well in advance. You know, they have assessed the claim well in advance. I've usually spoken to their lawyer a couple of times. Uh, you know, they've got a number of documents by that point to make the assessment as to whether we're going to proceed forward with trying to talk resolution. And so when you get to the point of mediation, there really shouldn't be any surprises. And more often than not, the disability insurers have already assessed that, look, we're going to put some money on the table. And so I really, I think there's only maybe one instance, John, in like almost really? 20 years that I, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it. I, look, my, my parents always said to me, never say never tomorrow. So I never <laughs> want to say <laughs> never, but I mean, it's like a really, really low instance. And the one case that I can think of, it was a very technical issue about an interpretation of the limit of the policy and whether or not further benefits were payable. So very, very narrow and distinct issue. And, you know, we had a real tough time getting that one resolved. And so, no, it didn't settle a mediation. And, you know, it was it was a bit of an issue. And I, I'm bound by confidentiality. So I don't want to sure. say much more than that. But at the end of the day, the claim did resolve, though. And so even if it doesn't resolve at mediation, I often say to my clients, that's okay. It's not our only opportunity to advocate and reach a resolution with a disability insurer. And actually, sometimes it's even better to perhaps not capitulate to the insurer's demands at a mediation setting so that we can do more advocating, more steps in the legal claim. It's not desirable for either side, which is why we have such a good and high degree of success in resolving at mediation. But, you know, it can't be at any cost, John. And this is what's important. And I think insurance companies bank on the fact that that, you know, a claimant will take any claim value and will settle at any amount. That couldn't be further from the truth because a lot of my clients, you know, this is the only compensation that they can achieve. Uh, their health will continue to prevent them from working and it is an important step in the process. And so we do everything that we can to position the claim in the best possible way and extricate every last dollar from the disability insurer. And they have my commitment uh, on that every time we go uh, to a mediation to try and resolve these claims. Peter, your email is up next. Will you uh, stand by for a moment and we'll get to you. We'd love to uh, have you hang on for that. In the meantime, the number to reach out to tomorrow and her team anytime. No sweat. 1-855-821-5900. And that email, help at disabilityrights.ca. We continue here on the Disability Law Show. Hang on. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go. If you don't get your email on the show this time, uh, no need to panic. You can always send it along regardless. And tomorrow and our team will have a look at it and, uh, and respond. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. The phone number anytime too. one 855 Okay, Peter, email says, guys, I have an online business as well as a full-time job. I recently had an injury, and my doctor recommended that I go on long-term disability. Are there any issues with earning money from my online business while I collect LTD? That's a great question. What do you think, tomorrow? Great, great question, Peter. And I, I'm really glad that you reached out to, to put this out there because it is one that actually doesn't have a very easy answer. And the reason I say that is because... I want to see what your policy says, okay? The disability policies typically will include something to the effect of if you are working at any occupation in another setting and earning income, something su such that way, 
that you are not entitled to long-term disability benefits for any period in which you are working. And so the question becomes, is Peter actually working, quote unquote, if he's running an online business, you know, and he's been doing it on the side while he's working full time, I got to wonder how much work, quote unquote, is involved in this online business or whether it's sort of running itself. It's also important to assess what is Peter's disability. So if he's disabled from his full-time job, what is that full-time job? You know, what are the doctors recommending in terms of his ability to continue working? And, you know, I think those things and scrutinizing those things in the context of the disability claim gives us a lot more context. Because the last thing I want is for the disability insurer to say, okay, yeah, but you're making these other earnings, so we're not entitled to pay you LTD. Well, hang on. If he's totally disabled from his own occupation, and that is the lens in which the disability insurer is going to look at the initial application that Peter has made, then that is the starting point of the analysis. He is, in fact, totally disabled, or so it sounds, totally disabled from his occupation. So LTD benefits just flow from that agreement that he's not capable of working. Then the insurance company should be looking at all of these other exclusions and limits. And if they are aware that he's got income coming in, perhaps it's passive income and it's not, you know, they're not entitled to either deduct it or consider it as alternative work. So a lot to unpack there, Peter. I think maybe a follow-up call probably makes sense in your circumstances. But for anyone who's listening, thinking, look, I've got a side gig, you know, what happens with my main gig and I make an LTD claim? You want to make sure you understand very clearly what the policy says about alternative occupations, earnings for those occupations, and whether or not the disability insurer is entitled to A, know about it, and B, to take a credit or, you know, deny your disability benefits on that basis. Peter, thanks, pal. Here's the uh, the number again to reach out and have a further conversation, which you probably will, one 821 5900 to do uh, to do exactly that. Will you speak to people about their disability uh, claims tomorrow, even if they haven't been cut off or by the insurance company, like a, a little bit of a preemptive strike? What do you think? Yes. A very, very simple answer to that. Yes. And in fact, it, it harkens back what I was saying sort of at the top of our show about that individual who'd contacted us a couple times about mm. uh, being on claim and what to do with the rehab efforts and so on. And so I think it is important for people for our listeners to understand that that's what we're here for. Many, many people have never dealt with a disability insurer before, and it can be a very daunting process, not knowing, you know, what's my next step? You know, I don't want to make a misstep. What do I say? What can I say? This is what I'm being told. None of this makes sense to me. Who can help me? And so this is why we've set up all of the resources that we have, all of the shows that we do, and the the conversations that we have, these consults, John, that we do very regularly are all absolutely free. There is no downside to contacting us and speaking with us, even if you're still receiving your disability benefit. Because generally speaking, when people come to us with questions, John, it can be the starting point, unfortunately, of where inevitably their claim is leading which is a closure or a denial or a cutoff of claim. Cut off, yeah. And so, yeah, and you, and you want to know, look, am I heading in that direction? Is there anything that I can do to prevent that from happening? Sometimes it's inevitable. More often than not, it can be just because of the reality of the way these disability insurers are set up. I mean, they don't make money unless they collect the premium and deny claims or, you know, bar claims, right? That's the business that they're in and they're very good at it. Um, and they will justify their ways in doing that. Uh, and so 
the resources that we have and the places that you can go to our website and, and other sources that we have are important because it, in my mind, levels levels the playing field a little bit. There's a little, you know, there's a bargaining power difference, right, between an adjuster who's trained to some extent on, you know, applying the policy and adjudicating these claims versus an individual who's, you know, uh, maybe this is the first time they're dealing with disability, they're still struggling with their health, they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I make my bill payments, you know, who's going to compensate me now, where do I go, you know, there could be, you know, underlying employment issues as well, it's a lot, it's a lot to manage, and so this is why I encourage people, look, we're here to help, and, you know, if the answer is to get involved right, right away, we will, and if not, that's okay too, at least then we give you a little bit of advice, and, you know, hopefully down the road, either you're well enough to return, or if you are denied your claim, we're here to, you know, get involved and advocate on their behalf. I got time to get a men's email in here. It says, guys have been on long-term disability for the last year. My doctor informed me last week that I would be able to begin working again on a part-time basis, half days. Would I still be covered under long-term disability for the difference between my part-time schedule and then my regular workload previous? What do you think? I like these emails, John. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yes, there's absolutely a possibility that a mean gets what I call a, a top-up payment. And it all depends on the amount of work, the capacity of work, and how that lines up with the disability benefit. So think of a scenario where perhaps he's working, I think he said half days. So I'm going to assume yep. that means, you know, part-time, half, half time, so maybe 50%. Some disability policies will have a threshold of 60% or 70% before they say that, you know, you're not capable um, of working. So the the actual definition of total disability will have a percentage in it. And if a means policy is that way and he is under that threshold, then by all means, the disability insurer should be continuing to pay, pay the top up, but make sure that there's very clear medical information provided to the insurer and the employer on what that capacity to work is because there's consequences to both and you know, he wants to make sure that he's returning safely and getting the compensation he deserves. Amin, nicely done. Good way to close off the show today, pal. Appreciate uh, appreciate you reaching out. And for you, if you got your email on the show, we thank you so much for contributing. Some great emails today, by the way. Common questions, actually, that people come to us before and after the show. You can always continue that conversation with Tamar and her team. They're always uh, standing by to have a chat with you. As Tamar said, no obligation. It's one 821 5900 The number, again, one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca. That is the email address. And then finally, the website where you can ask questions anonymously no problem my disabilityquestions.com and we'll catch you next time on the disability law show